The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The opinions expressed here reflect the judgment of the host and are subject to change. The material has been prepared and can be distributed for information purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. Additional information is available upon request. Please contact Jason Steele at info at westonbanks.com. Welcome to Media and Your Money with host Jason Steele. Our program will help you make the most of your investment plans, whether it's for your future, your child's future, or short- and long-term financial planning. Now, here is your host, Jason Steele. Good morning, East Coast. Wake up, San Francisco. It's 9 a.m. here in the Carolinas and 71 degrees. We've had a lot of storms and hail and tornadoes, and, and we've seen a lot of also disasters come from that, so... If it's not old man winter, it's some pretty nasty, bad, disastrous tornadoes. Welcome back to the show, Media and Your Money. I'm your host, Jason Steele, so thank you for dialing in. The premise of our show is to explore and educate and tear down the walls of what we call traditional money management and then show our listeners a way to potentially profit from thinking outside the box. Today's program is titled Passive Investing versus Tactical Investing. Which one's for you? Joining us will be Dave Armstrong of Good Harbor Financial, one of the tactical managers we use in the IRA Enhancer Strategies. Next week, we'll intrigue you on the government intervention and how to profit from it. So no matter what side of the political fence you sit on, one thing is for certain. When there's government intervention, there's always a way to make money. I'll take you back about two decades and show you how exposing government's intentions via the media and the web you can profit from all these decisions. But first, let's take a look at some headlines from yesterday. Stocks advanced on the final trading day of April, eking out a, a, a first record for 2014. The Dow rose about 45 points and closed at 16,580. The S&P 500 gained six points to 1883, and the NASDAQ increased 11 points to 4,114. The major averages finished higher following what Fed policy meeting. Uh, as expected, the central bank trimmed its monthly asset purchases to $45 billion, citing indications the economy is gaining momentum. Stocks were mixed heading into the Fed statement as investors weighed this morning's data releases. And then before the open, first quarter GDP grew uh, 0.1% versus a projected 1.2 increase. Additional reports showed employers added 220,000 jobs in April, and manufacturing activity expanded a, at a faster pace. Uh, but first, let's take a look at a couple of things about this morning now we're looking at. Uh, looks like the, the Dow uh, uh, futures are, are struggling for direction. Uh, if I look at right now, it's up uh, just a few points. Uh, looks like they're having some trouble kind of figuring out which way uh, the economy is going to run with ExxonMobil and ConocoPhillips. Uh, uh, not, uh, focus on those earnings. Looks like data on consumer spending and jobless claims and factory activity are also uh, in the lineup. Um, let's go to our guest. We have Dave Armstrong, a portfolio manager with Good Harbor Financial. One of his responsibilities is working with advisory firms and investors to understand tactical allocation. He has 27 years of professional experience. David's previous employers include Honeywell, R. Ardano in Oracle, and then prior to joining Good Harbor Financial, he was a director of research conducting analysis in the nature of structure of competition in the credit card market and for other financial firms. Uh, David earned an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and a BA from Knox College. David, welcome. Jason, good morning. So i got to ask you, how does a guy whose previous work with Honeywell in Oracle end up with a fast-growing investment manager like Good Harbor? Uh, well, I think like a lot of your listeners, I've had an interesting background, had an opportunity to both work and live in a lot of places. Uh, and I think uh, for some of your 
for some of your listeners this morning, they may also agree that having a variety of experiences in different places does a couple things for you. Number one, it gives you exposure to different ways of thinking about the world and different ways of assessing how things are behaving. Uh, the other thing that it does for you is that it gives you perspective. Uh, and so one of the things that I think that we pride ourselves on here at the firm uh, is bringing in a diversity of ideas to help us think about not just the markets today, but also what they've been historically and how we think that they'll be changing over time. You know, we've been reading a lot about tactical allocation in our show today is about passive uh, versus tactical allocation. You know, I don't think people understand it. Even me as a 18-year veteran didn't really grasp it till a few years ago. Um, so c- can you explain to the, to the listeners uh, what is tactical asset allocation and really how does Good Harbor use it? Yeah, so it, it's, a, it's a piece that people see in the market today. I think there's certainly a number of tactical strategies that have been introduced over the last couple of years. Uh, I think some of your investors may be savvy to the idea that one of the things that you may always want to assess as you're thinking about making an investment are, number one, what are the strategies that are available in the particular space that you're thinking about, tactical or strategic type allocations as well. Um, Another piece that you want to think about is uh, what's called the survivor bias. Uh, We want to make sure that we're not just thinking about the firms or strategies that are available today, but also those uh, that are not around today, those that have been introduced to the markets but haven't necessarily performed well enough uh, or performed as expected, performed consistently over time. And so uh, as you think about the space, uh, there's lots of different kinds of data to take advantage of, and I think your listeners have got lots of sources. You, not the least of which, are a great resource that people can turn to to help try to figure out how these pieces might fit together. What's different about tactical versus strategic asset allocation is that strategic asset allocation will either take a passive or active approach. A passive approach would be to say, look, I'll just buy all the constituents in that particular space. Uh, An active approach says that I'm going to pick some of those, uh, and there are lots of different ways to think about what that active approach may mean. Obviously, performance is something that people are looking for. Risk management is another important component. But I think historically what you found is, and your uh, listeners have probably also experienced this as well, there are periods of time where the market does well, and there are also periods of time where the market does poorly. And under those circumstances, if you are, as your listeners may know, the idea of what's called a long-only manager or somebody who by their mandate can only buy uh, securities and hold them, uh, and that they have to have a certain level of investment all the time, it means that when the market does well, they'll perform at a certain level. And when the market does poorly, they may not do as well. In fact, they may suffer some of those negative returns or what we call drawdown in the industry uh, under those periods of time. And investors, depending on the timing of their investment, may say that that's something that they want to try to manage more effectively. And I think that's where the the common denominator of most folks that come into my office is saying, I just don't want to lose money. You've got to be able to get ahead of the curve. And and, and that, I think, is where you see, so uh, with respect to what we do as a tactical manager, I think you see a couple of things. Number one, our mandate gives us flexibility. We have the ability to hold equity risk sometimes, but we don't always have to hold equity risk. And the way that all tactical managers do that can be a little bit different. In our case, if we think that we're in an environment where equity risk is less attractive, we have the ability to remove not just some equity exposure, but we can go to none at all. And obviously, if you do that in environments where the equity markets are selling off over a series of, uh, of months in succession, that can have an impact on the portfolio's performance. Well, well, Dave, can you talk about that? I mean, how, how does Good Harbor, I, I mean, how do you identify? Is there some sort of algorithm that you guys have written code for? How do you identify these variances on these equity risk premiums? Yeah, uh, Jason, great piece. So I think you point to at the very end of your question, the, the, it's kind of the, se- the seminal piece about what we do. And that is that we're thinking about a very different idea in finance. Most active managers will try to look at what's called fundamental analysis. They'll try to project cash flows out into the future. And then what we all want to do as investment managers is we want to think about what those are worth to us today. It's what's called determining a present value of those future cash flows or a dividend discount model. In our case, we think about a very different idea. What we're looking at is this idea of what's called a risk premium, and it basically is an indication of how investors feel with respect to equity risk. There are certain periods of time where investors will need higher rates of return to get them to hold equities. That tends to be an environment where the markets themselves are under pressure. And there are other periods of time where investors as a whole need lower rates of return. 
and that tends to be a more favorable environment for uh, for equity risk as well. We tend to see prices rising under those circumstances, as when people don't need as high a rate of return, those are environments where you tend to see investors uh, buying more security exposure. Uh, they don't; they're not as concerned about the the rate of return or the or receiving as high a rate of return as they otherwise might. And so that's the way that we think about managing our strategy um, over time. And, and so you use the words how investors feel, <laughs> you know. And I think I want listeners to understand. It sounds like there's a lot of emotion to, to, to it that way investors look, you know, as opposed to a lot of fundamentals. We do see that in terms of behavior. We don't apply that in terms of what we do. I think your earlier question was also important with respect to what we do, and that is that we're fully objective. Uh, while there is an emotional component that tends to drive the way that people behave, call that rational or otherwise, uh, it, the piece that we employ here is fully objective, fully model-based. And the reason that we do that is because one of the things that we know is that those emotions can sometimes distort your performance over time. Uh, and so that's one of the things that we try to control for in terms of what we do. So I understand that you know, when we look into your, your portfolio, Good Harbors using these, these ETFs, you know, exchange-traded funds that have become so popular today. Yep. You know, can you explain to our listeners really what is an ETF and, and why ETFs and not individual stocks or mutual funds? Yeah, let me take the second part of that question first because I think it's important with respect to what we do. And then I want to talk about uh, ETFs just briefly. So in our case, our view of the world is very broad-based. We're looking at how risk is changing across the market overall. And so the reason that we use ETFs is because it's a great way, we find, to get exposure to the indices that we want to hold exposure to. In our case, we don't buy individual securities in our strategy because we don't know how investors' behavior is likely to perform with respect to individual securities. But we do get a sense for how investors are likely to behave with respect to the market overall. And so holding a broad basket of exposure, which we can get through indices, uh, the large cap index, the small cap index, or the mid cap index, uh, is something that we think aligns well with our view of the world. Now, ETFs themselves are, we think, a very efficient way to do that. Remember that previously we used to get index-based exposure by holding mutual funds. Uh, those were created a couple of decades ago and were very effective for a while. When ETFs were introduced, it became a lower-cost way to get access to buy a broad basket of exposure that we could then trade intraday. Remember, mutual funds themselves could only be traded at the end of the day at a certain price. Uh, and ETFs give you the ability to trade all throughout the day as well. So, and so, uh, so, and so with these ETFs, I mean, obviously, there's a couple of different fund companies you would use. And, um, I mean, we're hearing lots of things that are out there. But uh, with ETFs, I also notice you have what's called ETNs. And I don't think I understand what an ETN is still. Uh, ETNs are, are another form of the same kind of exposure. It's a piece that we can use in the strategy, but it's not one that we use an awful lot. We also use what's called a levered ETF in our strategy. Uh, and for your investors who may be interested in learning more about us, we've got a fair amount of information that's available about why we use leverage in our strategy. Uh, fundamentally, we find that the volatility of our strategy overall, our basic approach is lower than that of the market overall. And so we use leverage to try to manage our volatility to be in line with the market uh, over time. One of the questions that investors also often have is, hey, there seems to be this what uh, people refer to as tracking error or sort of a dispersion between what the actual results are of some of those levered ETFs versus what they would otherwise expect. Uh, I think it's not necessarily unusual for somebody to look at, let's say, the market. If the market's up 2 or 3 or 4% in a particular period, they would expect that, that levered vehicles, a double or a triple ETF, two times, or what's sometimes called a geared ETF, uh, would provide two or three times what the market's performance is in that period. It's important for your investors to know that those levered ETFs are designed to provide double or triple, or in the case of an inverse ETF, uh, the uh, opposite of the market's behavior over a given day. And all of those vehicles are very, very good at doing that. And so, again, a little more complicated idea, what we tend to think about is what's called the path dependency of those returns, what is the series of returns and how do those accumulate to give you the kind of return that you have in any particular period of time? And, and so what's the, the expense of a average, you think, of a leveraged ETF than are just a regular ETF we put in there? Undeniably higher, uh, I think, yeah. than, an, than, an unlevered, than an unlevered ETF. And I think that one of the virtues of the market today uh, is that investors have got a fairly competitive market. 
uh, particularly in the unlevered space. Um, fees in those are fairly low, and clearly fees and expenses are something that your investors want to think about because those obviously have an effect on the returns that you receive over time. But I think part of what you want to think about is then also the value that you receive, uh, that uh, trade-off, if you will, between the expense itself and the return that you receive over time. Um, and that's, I think, something that all your listeners can then turn to their advisor to help figure out whether or not they're receiving what they think is appropriate given the level of risk that they've got. You know, I think that's great when it comes to expenses and, and keeping things down. And we know that expenses matter, and an ETS felt like a great way. David, we're going to take a commercial break, and we come back, um, we're going to uh, pick up with maybe some portfolio balancing and how we uh, affect uh, the net asset value of these ETFs. So when we get back in just a few minutes. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on the future of business. Learn how you can become the transformational leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of innovation. The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to media and your money. Welcome back. And uh, we've got Dave Armstrong with Good Harbor Financial uh, with us on, on the call today. Dave is uh, 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 one of the portfolio managers on a tactical manager that we use. And Dave has been a, a great resource so far of telling us how uh, tactical management is, a, is the process of kind of looking for the movements in the markets based on behaviors of different indexes and sectors. Um, we are uh, talking about what an exchange-traded fund is where you can use a low-cost provider and kind of kind of pitch your wedge into a certain sector if you believe it's going to rise and fall versus S&P 500 or, or mid-cap or small-cap. And he just finished talking to us about leverage of how some of these ETF companies out there um, will will create leverage where you can get a uh, maybe a one and a half percent upside. Um, David, bringing us back, you know, I want to go back and kind of finish on what we we're talking about uh, why ETFs. And one thing I think our listeners, I want them to understand is that uh, how, how Good Harbor uses ETFs, and by doing so, how does Good Harbor's portfolio rebalancing affect? The, the 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 funds that you use, their ETFs net asset value. When mm-hmm. such a large amount of money is flowing between asset classes, it sounds like you guys make a monthly call. Uh, can you kind of explain about that? Uh, sure. Which piece do you want me to concentrate on? Let, let, let's do the first part about um, – well, first let's talk about this. Let's talk about, how, how do you make a call? Is, is yep. it monthly? Is it? Is, and then we'll go back into by making that call, then what your money does and maybe what it would affect with the uh, net asset value of these exchange-traded funds. Yep. Uh, so as a manager, you always have to think about your 
uh, the timing of your investment decisions. If I'm a fundamental manager, if I'm thinking about um, or a traditional manager when I'm making my investment views, a lot of my investment decisions are predicated around uh, what I think the relative value of a security is. And so I'm trying to uh, buy into a security when I think that security is uh, low on a relative basis, and then I'm looking at some mean reverting behavior. I'm expecting that prices are going to rise to some level that I think is what's called the intrinsic value of the security. What I talked about earlier, what are those cash flows worth over time? What do I think that they ought to be bought for uh, in the markets themselves? And I try to then benefit from that by my ability to pick those securities that are more likely to outperform. Um, in our case as a tactical manager, if we're going to think about holding equity exposure sometimes and think about not holding equity exposure at sometimes, clearly that decision about when we hold equity exposure is important. And in our case, we think about the timing of that decision in the context of two things that we think are not particularly good, and that leads us to where we are today. If you think about making trading decisions in the market itself, uh, if we're trying to trade uh, several times a day or several times a week, what we find is that there's too much noise in the market itself. There's lots of inf information that comes into the market. The way that the market figures out what the value of that information is or what securities ought to be worth is through trading. People in that environment that receive that information that think that the information is positive on a net basis will end up buying into that environment if they think that securities are worth something other than what they're reflected in the market. And the reverse of that is true as well. For people who think that this new information is negative for the market or negative for the securities that they want to hold, will end up selling. And so your listeners will often find that whenever new information is introduced in the market that, that prices move around a lot. And so it's hard to, if you will, benefit from that at that particular point of time. I'd also argue that it doesn't make a lot of, it doesn't create a lot of value. On the flip side, if we're thinking about trading maybe once or twice a year or once a quarter, we find that there are too many periods where the markets themselves will go into multi-month sell-offs. And one of the things that we're organized around is this idea of trying to m avoid more of those when they occur. And the reason that we think that that's important is because, as some of your listeners may know, when losses are incurred in a portfolio, you have to have an even higher rate of return to get back to what your initial capital value was. And so it's our view that if we can miss more losses historically over time, that we think that we're going to spend less time trying to get back to break even and more time trying to create uh, growth in the portfolio overall. So how do we then uh, impl implement what we do? Well, we find that there's, some, there's going to be some sort of a middle point between trading on a daily basis, which doesn't work particularly well, and trading on an annual basis, which doesn't work particularly well. Um, and from our perspective and all the research we've done, we find that about a one-month hold in the portfolio tends to work pretty effectively. Uh, it tends to help you avoid some of those multi-month losses when they come along, which are by their very nature unpredictable, uh, but also tends to keep you out of the noise as well. And so when when these net asset value movements happen, just, just kind of walk into some of that. When you make a decision, um, uh, your managers move, uh, let's kind of repeat that. You, there, there really isn't like this big, massive influx where, where you can move an ETF. Yeah, I think a lot of the focus in investments today, as investors have been more interested in using ETFs in their portfolio, has been around the idea of liquidity. And why should we care about liquidity of an individual security, an individual ETF? Well, if we're a buyer of a security today, but then we want to sell our position, we want to make sure that we're not trying to sell more than the available liquidity in the ETF itself. Why? If we're trying to sell more than uh, the liquidity or buy more than the liquidity provides, you're going to end up moving prices. And so that's obviously a piece that people would be concerned about, particularly in some of the more esoteric ETFs that are available in the market. Yes, in our case, yeah. Jason, when we're investing in our, uh, uh, our strategy in uh, ETFs or if we are selling out of positions as well, one of the things that we take advantage of are what are called redemption and creation units. And so that's important for two particular reasons. Number one, as your investors may see, um, the volume of the ETFs tends to be fairly low. The liquidity that's, uh, that's available is fairly low. And the reason for that is that the ETF manufacturers want to do a very good job of making sure that their ETF prices track consistently with the value of uh, the, index, the indices themselves. And so part of the way that you do that is by managing the supply and demand. And there are what are called authorized participants that are allowed to buy or sell in order to try to, to, try to manage that tracking as closely as possible. It's a great system. It works very, very well. So, so how many companies do you think are out there that, 
that 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 sponsor ETFs. I, I don't remember who Good Harbor uses. Is, is it iShares? Uh, we use iShares a lot. We also use ProShares products for the levered piece. There are lots of different firms in the market themselves, and that's part of what I think creates uh, a fairly good market for ETF products, and which is why I think you're seeing a lot of people using them today. So, so let's go to you know the Good Harbor Tactical Core U.S. Fund. Mm-hmm. You know, here here at Weston Banks Wealth Partners. Uh, we have our proprietary product, the uh, the IRA Enhancer Strategy. Uh, we use Good Harbor and a couple other uh, of your of your colleagues with F Squared and, and, and Dorsey Wright and, and Athena, uh, and we put them put them all together. Um, but we love Good Harbor. We love you've got a great track record. You've been out there for for more than ten years. Um, so, why can you can you tell us why you guys uh, have chosen? The S and P 500, I think, is your benchmark, and how your fund has performed against it the last decade. Sure. So, in our case, uh, our choice of the S and P 500 as our benchmark is uh, very much by design. Um, the reason that we want to use the S and P 500 is because we run an equity strategy. Um, uh, in our case, I think for your listeners' benefit, one of the things to know is that when we're defensive in our strategy. Uh, we choose not to hold equity risk. And in our case, you'll find that when we're not holding equities in the portfolio, we tend to use bonds uh, for a couple of reasons. One, they tend to be uncorrelated from uh, equity risk. We think that that's a good thing. If we're in an asset class that tends not to fall along with equities when equities are under stress, uh, we think that that's going to help the health of the portfolio over time. The other piece that we tend to think about, though, uh, is the idea of um, uh, the benchmark itself. So some advisors have come to us and said, well, if you use bonds sometimes and you use equity sometimes, maybe you want to use a blended benchmark. And in our case, uh, we don't think that that's necessarily a, uh, a reasonable set of guidance for the investors themselves. Why? What we're going to have in our strategy is volatility that looks very much like the market overall. And what we found is that most investors have said that they're comfortable with that kind of volatility in their portfolio. And so uh, we find that the S&P 500 as a benchmark tends to communicate that same idea as well. So, so when you guys actually uh, – I love it because the, the, the economy believes the S&P 500 is kind of the standard benchmark out there. Yep. Um, and so since you guys are able to go to cash, you know, uh, uh, I don't look at the material all the time, but do you, when you report when you're in cash, do you report to the S&P 500 at that point or you report to the aggregate bond yield or something like that? No, always do the same thing. We're always going to use the S&P 500 as a benchmark. And I think one of the things that your investors may find is that uh, in our case as a tactical manager, our objective is to outperform that benchmark over a market cycle. Uh, If you're a manager who's only buying into the S&P 500 sector and you're using the S&P 500 as an index, then I think it's reasonable to look for some outperformance or some underperformance, uh, but a fairly close relationship around the indices performance itself. That's a good thing when the index is doing well. That's obviously a bad thing for investors or an uncomfortable thing for investors in environments where the markets themselves are doing poorly. And we've seen environments like that uh, on a couple of instances over the last decade. In our case, our objective with the benchmark is to communicate that risk component. It's also to seek to outperform that benchmark index over time. And so in our case, we're not looking to try to beat it in any one particular year. We tend to want to do it in those years uh, over time where we know that there are certain environments where uh, the contribution of the strategy relative to the benchmark uh, can be larger. And if we do that well over time, our aggregate performance will be better than the benchmark overall. You know, I'm looking at your tactical core fact sheet, and it, it yep. really blows me away. And I think that uh, when I started to, to do work when I was in another firm, another regional warehouse, I mean, they wouldn't want to hire Good Harbor. And what I found was that is because it sold against everything else the big institutions wanted. The big institutions wanted asset allocation. They wanted 12B1 fees. They wanted small cap, mid cap, large cap, value growth. FINRA wants this diversification. But, you know, I have my own mindset here at Western Banks that – you know, if you have the ability to go to cash, to me, that is much better of a defense mechanism than asset allocation. And so I'm, I'm blown away. Uh, I'm looking at 2013's numbers. You know, the S&P obviously did 32 uh, percent. Good Harbor did 24. But I can go back and look at the, the, the numbers. Uh, I'm looking at 2009. 
when the S&P 500 had its rebound year at 26.46%, and Good Harbor uh, U.S. Corps, which we used at 47.27%. I'm assuming that's because of the leverage. You know, uh, it's actually because of two things. Primarily, uh, our contribution to the portfolio's return comes from the asset allocation itself. Introducing equity risk or uh, uh, removing equity risk in those environments where the markets themselves are either expanding over a multi-month period of time or declining over a multi-month period of time adds the most to uh, on a relative basis. You get a little bit of benefit from the market cap call that we make. You get a little bit of benefit from the leverage as well. Uh, but the biggest piece is that decision about whether or not you hold equities or not. I think that's consistent with a lot of what we've seen in a lot of academic finance as well. So when you go back and look at what's a good time to be with a good harbor, I mean, I, as I try to strategize with you all, uh, I love that you use leverage. And I, I like the, the thought of using leverage after some declining months or declining years, which is why I think you're seeing your answer. You saw a couple of things happen so that 2009, you really outperformed uh, the S&P 500. But then I go back and look at 2008, uh, where the S&P 500 finished 37% negative for the year, and the tactical core fund was down just a little bit over five basis points. Can you talk about that at all on the radio, what happened during that time period? Yeah, I think for your investors, I think those are the kinds of periods that we see, at least from a historical perspective, that have occurred uh, throughout the history of the equity markets. Uh, one of the things that we catalog in a white paper that your uh, listeners can have access to uh, is a piece that goes back and looks at how markets are likely to behave. Um, and in our case, we find that there are corrections that occur uh, historically going back all the way to the early 1900s. And again, the piece that we're very sensitive to is the idea that when those environments occur, getting out of the way of those multi-month slides, we think can add uh, to the long-term value of the portfolio uh, because of that asymmetry of returns that we talked about before. 2008 was a hard year to navigate. The returns in 2008, though, were largely affected by what happened at the very end of the year. In the fourth quarter, the market sold off uh, over a three-month period of time. We happened to be defensive in all three of those environments. What I think is important from a tactical perspective is not, not only being able to do that, but also then uh, having the wherewithal to then reintroduce equity exposure. And for those who want to take a little closer look at what we do, they'll find that we then reintroduced equity exposure to a modest degree. Uh, we were in what we refer to as our 50-50 state through January, February, and March. Uh, and then we held a full equity allocation through the balance of the year. Again, a difficult environment to navigate. And again, I think, Jason, it gets back to the idea of why you want to be objective uh, around how you make your decisions. When those market environments themselves are more stressful, uh, being able to remove some of your emotional component to make a more practical decision can, as it had in that case, can add to the returns over time. You know, this it's just amazing to me that uh, not enough people know about you, and uh, we'd love to, 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 to put you out there on the, on the block. Because I think when we compare you just to the S&P 500 or any other index, uh, the ability to be tactical, you're always giving us the answers, is, is, is second to none. Um, we're going to take another commercial break, and we'll come back. We'll talk about some trading platforms. We'll talk about some other things that, the, uh, that Good Harbor is, is into. Um, so stay with us. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. 
If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Joke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to Media and Your Money. Welcome back. Uh, if you're just joining us, we have David Armstrong of Good Harbor Financial. Uh, he's a portfolio manager and advocate for tactical allocation. Uh, if you're also the first time listening to our show, we are Media and Your Money. Uh, we try to uncover and, and put to rest the long-pitched buy-and-hold philosophy of money management. Uh, we believe that anything you you can uh, add to your portfolio needs to have some sort of, of downside protection or airbag when it comes to equities and equity risk premium. Uh, David and his firm, Good Harbor, have a long track record of making market calls and trying to be either in the market, out of the market, half the market. Uh, we use them exclusively uh, as one of our managers within our IRA enhancer strategy. You can find it uh, on our website at westonbanks.com or on the Voice America site. Above it, there will be a, a, a program for download the IRA enhancer guide. Or you can call us at 800-990-5581 or email me at jason.steel at westonbanks.com if you want to find out how we use Good Harbor within our IRA enhancer strategies. Uh, but coming back, Dave and I, we were finishing the last segment on uh, the portfolio returns versus the S&P 500 and coming in and going out and standing out. But, David, let's bring a couple times when we didn't stand out and and why it's not an, uh, an all-win-win situation. Yeah, and I think that's important for your listeners to consider as well as they look at not just our strategy, but I think any strategy, not only as a standalone item, right, but also in the context of what's happening in your portfolio overall. And one of the ways that we tend to do that is we tend to think about the market environments where the strategy tends to perform well uh, and the market environments where the strategy doesn't do as well. Uh, I think if one of the advantages that your listeners have is that they can come and take a look at what our calendar year returns are. You can even see on our fact sheet, uh, we post our monthly returns on the fact sheet as well so that people can get some sense of their positive months and their negative months. Uh, and that would, depending on the way that those string together, you can have different kinds of return relative to the index itself. And so you'll see that there's some periods of time that we outperform and some periods of time that we underperform. Uh, I think, obviously, there are two things your investors want to think about. One is uh, what the cumulative effects of the strategy are, also what the environment are that you're going into. Uh, how are you managing the kinds of risks that you think that your portfolio faces? Uh, and that's something that you can work closely with your financial advisor to help figure out. And, and I'm noticing, David, you can get that at it's goodharborfinancial.com, correct, is where you can go and get your literature section and pull down and see a lot of other uh, items out there. Or you can go to the uh, westonbanks.com IRA Enhancer Strategy section. Uh, will be up, and, and we'll give you some fact sheets as well. Um, uh, and I also noticed there's some other funds that, that you kind of do tactical. So I'm assuming the U.S. core fund that we're talking about explicitly is not just your only tactical fund. Yeah. You know, there are lots of ways to be tactical. Uh, for us as a firm, we're fairly straightforward in terms of what we do, and there are lots of reasons why we choose in our U.S.-based strategy to only focus on managing U.S. equity risk. Um, but that's not, I think, um, this whole idea of a time-varying equity risk premium or investors sometimes being more bullish and sometimes being more bearish. Uh, we don't think that that's unique to the U.S. equity markets alone. Uh, we think that these risk premium behaviors tend to exist in other environments as well. And so you're, uh, those who are interested will find that we run uh, non-U.S.-based strategies. We have a tactical international strategy. Uh, we also have a tactical equity strategy that's focused specifically on the EM markets, the emerging markets, and one that's focused on the developed markets as well. And then lastly, we've also taken this uh, this approach of using a time-bearing equity risk premium and applied it to buying individual securities in a strategy that's referred to as tactical equity income. Uh, we've been running this strategy under uh, our portfolio manager, Jeff Kim, 
uh, for about 13 years. Uh, and so your investors could take a look at that if that's something that they're looking for as well. Investing in individual securities uh, and having access to a piece that has a dividend yield as well. And, and do they all kind of have the same sort of, uh, of of algorithms about maybe meeting and trying to do the same things in emerging markets by going half cash or out in or leverage? Or are they just completely a completely different strategy, but yet it's tactical? Uh, no, I'd say that they all actually take an objective approach. That's one thing that would, that they all share, and they all use this idea of a time-bearing equity risk premium, uh, and so that's consistent as well. Uh, in tactical equity income, there's a little bit more fundamental analysis that we're doing in that particular piece, um, as opposed to more of an, uh, an algorithmic piece um, uh, in, the, in our uh, tactical core U.S. international EM and DM um, uh, in order to uh, get a sense for what we think the direction of the risk premium is over uh, the next 20 to 40 days. And tactical equity income, is that the one that actually shows individual security selection? It does. Holds between today, uh, between 12 and 20 names. Again, I think one of the, uh, uh, the advantages of being a tactical manager is that tactical equity income has the ability to raise cash if it doesn't find any attractive opportunities. If it sees securities in the spaces that we tend to buy into it being either fair value or above. Uh, and so that uh, leaves us with a little bit more flexibility with respect to what we do in some of those more stressful market environments. So you talk about raising cash and, and, and as an investment professional, uh, one of my uh, biggest things is kind of watching the taxes. In fact, yesterday, I just got to have a phone call because some other broker sold a, uh, a whole bunch of mutual funds up a client's accounts with no tax uh, talk and the client ended up paying about $90,000 of capital gains. Mm-hmm. Let's bring that back to how that can hurt us or help us in the tactical field. Yeah, uh, Jason, a great point for your investors, something to think about as well. What are the tax implications of a strategy? And the way that I think you want to think about that is that there are certain tax-advantaged asset classes that your investors can take advantage of. Uh, In equity investing, uh, your investors, depending on the investment time horizon, uh, will be subject to either short-term capital gains if their holdings are for less than a year or long-term capital gains if their uh, holdings are for more than a year. In our case, we're making a number of decisions over the course of the year, and so uh, we recommend that people uh, anticipate that almost all the gains are going to be uh, realized short-term capital gains or capital losses uh, that will combine in some form to generate uh, returns over the year. Um, In that sense, I think it's uh, one of the things that we find is that a lot of investors use us uh, in a qualified account, as you do in your IRA enhancer, because the tax implications of those gains or losses uh, aren't realized by the investor until when they begin to liquidate their positions. Uh, Surprisingly, though, we have a large number of investors who use us in a taxable environment as well. And so I think one of the things that we find is that some investors are looking to use us uh, in a uh, taxable account because they're looking to be a little bit more reactive when risk conditions are changing. So uh, I'd say for your listeners, it all depends on what their objectives are. And I think when I go back and look at the, the tactical equity income versus the the U.S. tactical core, we love the fact that you know you're you're you're, you're you have a process, you're repeatable, you're definable. We know what we're looking for, and so for the IRA enhancer strategy that Western Banks runs, we're able to pair you up with other good managers. Um, now, when I look at the tactical uh, equity income, as we mentioned earlier. Um, that has some strategies that can go to cash, but and when I go back and look at it, I just want to make sure for the listeners, because I'm blown away when I happen to pull the fact sheet up that I've never looked at, that I'm seeing a 123% return in 2009. And so I'm assuming there will be a lot of turnover that year, or, more, or was that more your buy and hold philosophy? Uh, it was a function of a couple of things. Uh, I think as we look at some of the sectors that we have the ability to buy into, uh, we happen to hold in 2009, very early in the year, uh, a fair amount of exposure to some fairly deep value names in the REIT space. Your investors may remember that 2008 itself was a fairly bad year. Tactical equity income had the ability to raise cash as we saw prices in the U.S. equity markets rising at a pretty good clip. Uh, and so in that environment, we saw uh, fewer opportunities. And because we saw fewer opportunities, we raised cash and then avoided a lot of the drawdown that occurred late in the year. That's a great fund. I'm looking at it going, you know, that is one that I've got to add to this portfolio as you go back and hear what you say. Dave, we've got to take another commercial break, and we're going to come right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests 
new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to media and your money. Good morning. Welcome back. And and welcome, um, San Francisco. We know you're just getting out of bed. And if you are and you're fixing your coffee, we've had David Armstrong of uh, Good Harbor Financial who's been walking through tactical money management. And yesterday, you know, one of our headlines, David, was the market ecked out a new high. Uh, the S&P 500 uh, hit 16,000 I – mean, sorry, the Dow hit 16,580. It was a new high for the year after we started off a, a slow month. Um, but, you know, we're talking about tactical, and I think the calls that I get all the time are coming is, do we need to go to cash? Are we ready to go to cash? Are we – you know, do you have your finger on the button? And I just wish that uh, our, our, uh, our investors understood there is no easy button. There is no easy button in the brokerage business where you can hit a button and everybody goes to cash. But it sounds like, and we've been talking about this today, with Good Harbor Financial, there's somewhat of an easy button. And and we're going to kind of finish up with what we were talking about in these, uh, 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 the abilities to have taxes and go to cash and use some things. But uh, as we're ending, we were going to talk about really uh, 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 the developments that Good Harbor is uh, moving into. And, and we're watching right now. David, can you can expound on some of the things that we're doing and the differences that we've explained between the tactical core equity and the uh, 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 and U.S. core? Uh, so between tactical equity income and tactical core U.S., I think one of the things that I find is that uh, a, uh, a diversity of returns, if you will, or diversification in a portfolio starts with uh, having a diversification of ideas or approaches. And I think it's important for your investors to remember when they're working with their financial advisors that you're going to have some ideas that perform well in different environments. A lot of investors, I think, were surprised by the performance of the S&P 500 last year. Uh, the S&P was up about 32% for the year. And so having some strategic or what I would call long-only exposure as a piece of the portfolio, uh, I think for investors who were doing that, uh, that rewarded them with some decent returns in an environment where I'd say that a lot of people had started the year not necessarily expecting that we'd find those kinds of returns. And so tactical equity income and tactical core U.S. take a different approach, just as we do with our tactical international strategies, and you'll find that they will all behave differently, uh, as they will with respect to uh, a portfolio overall and other ideas that your listeners may bring together in their portfolios as well. Are you guys seeing any other sectors that could be evolving from this access to media uh, uh, market that you might be developing right now, or are you coming sticking with the funds you currently have? We're always looking for new ideas, and we continue to assess the strategies that we have today. Uh, I think one of the advantages that we have as a firm is that we tend to be fairly objective in terms of how we manage what we do, and so we can continue to uh, look for new opportunities, uh, test them. Uh, We tend to be very quantitative in terms of what we do, and so that's something that I think is built into who we are as a firm. Uh, What other ideas arise over time, we'll see. I think that's one of the things that we'll continue to work on. 
You know, David, can you tell our listeners, I and mean, obviously every firm has a, a, a statement. And one of the things that I do as just a, your average broker, I would call myself a, a broker by calling, but, you know, really I just try to pick up all the data, is I go back in every January and I pick up the common denominator that everybody keeps talking about. You know, last year the common denominator was, you know, stay in U.S. equities. Uh, in January, we started to make a pitch to, uh, and added some Dorsey Wright into our portfolio that would have some U.S. Uh, not just U.S. exposure, but some international exposure. And we started adding some ETFs that were invested in, in, in Western Europe, and that has helped our portfolio as well. But what is your firm's view on the market currently for our listeners, and, and are you fully allocated in the Tactical Core U.S. fund as a couple of days ago? We have been through three out of the last four months uh, carried a full equity exposure, uh, uh, full exposure to the equity markets. But I think to your point, one of the kind of the key questions that people always have is trying to figure out where the markets are going to go. And we generally try to project out over time where we're going to be at some point, be it at the end of the year or the end of next year. Uh, what's the overall environment look like? In our case, our view of the world is very short term. We don't make a call about what the markets are going to do between now and the end of the year. Uh, we maintain a fair amount of flexibility because the predictability of the markets is fairly low uh, over longer periods of time. And so in that sense, um, just like we do as a firm, and I'd encourage your uh, investors as well, uh, remain flexible. Yes. <laughs> I mean, flexibility, I think, is of the most. Um, well, David, we cannot appreciate the time that you've given us this morning. It has been very educational as well as exploratory. If you, for our listeners, want to pick up more on Good Harbor Financial, you can go to goodharborfinancial.com. Obviously, as you can take down the fact sheets and the literature, I'd encourage you to look at the Tactical Equity Income Fund as I'm seeing some amazing returns and some opportunity to go to cash as well in times of market stress. I encourage you to look at the Tactical Core Fund that we're seeing on there if you have a place in your portfolio that wants to be tactical. And if you're looking for some sort of non-qualified retirement plan, I encourage you all to look at the IRA Enhancer Strategy or westernbanks.com where you can pick up these great managers. David, thank you. Thank you so much for educating us, and thank you much for being part of our portfolio. Jason, thanks for having me. Guys, next week we're going to have uh, uh, a, a program about how to profit from government intervention. Um, I really mentioned earlier, no matter what part of the political fence you'll sit on, I think you'll be surprised what happens when the government passed Sarbanes-Oxley. I think you'll be surprised what happened when the government passed TARP. I think you'll be surprised what happened when the government passed Q1, Q2, Q3. So come join us, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next week here on Media and Your Money. Thank you again for tuning in this week to Media and Your Money. Please join your host, Jason Steele, again next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk next week. We'll talk next week.